guys, this is Casey from Tracor Clan, the Mandalorian Mercs of Michigan, and you're listening to the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. If you loved the Mandalorian and are looking to make your own Mando, come find us at www.facebook.com backslash Michigan Mercs, and we will show you the way. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a member of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts and content creators, visit bio.link slash red5. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? Welcome to another episode of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I'm your host, Rob, and we are recording this episode on Tuesday, January 31st, 2023. All right, so we are back once again after a lengthy break. And instead of having Tom Howell, my normal co-pilot and co-host, I am joined by Pat Charles from the Conversations podcast, uh, who are filling in while Tom is off at the Hyperspace Lounge on the Disney Wish, enjoying himself and having a couple cocktails. Guys, thanks for joining me to talk a little bit of uh, Death Watch, Mandalorian, and Darksaber. Ooh, well, thank you for having us on. Uh, it is our pleasure. We will do our best to uh, to be in the stead of Tom, who's likely enjoying the Hyperspace Lounge as we speak right now, so we're not jealous whatsoever, but uh, we are very happy to be here. Pat, I... apparently not so much. <laughs> I mean, have you been to the Hyperspace Lounge? I have not. Tell me all about it. No. Well, I shall. Later. Um, yeah, it's 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 a wondrous, glorious place, and um, I, I'm envious of Tom as well. But since I can't be there with him, here we are doing this. You know, funny story. I, I, we all experienced this today. Tom, uh, Tom and his wife, Michelle, went to the Hyperspace Lounge and threw their hat in for a lovely round of Star Wars trivia. And apparently he felt like he was going to have to turn in his fan card because he only got 19 out of 20, which I still think is very respectable. Uh, but the hang-up question for him in their Star Wars trivia was, what is the name of the medicine doctor murder bear? I mean, Ewok. I mean, Ewok. I think we all know that Ewoks are murder bears, right? Right. Uh, you know, and it's funny when when he said that, I blanked. Yeah. Absolutely. Imagine, imagine when you're in a lounge with twenty other teams, right? And 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 the heat is on. All I could come up with was swizzle shards uh, for a clump. <laughs> and I don't even think that's Which an Ewok needs name. Needs to be the name of an Ewok. Right. Well, I think Charles decided that the three names I threw out there were the names of the murder bears on your murder bear shirt. Uh, yes. So if anyone is looking for a good murder bear shirt, go check out the conversations. Uh, what's it on? Uh, Tumblr or? Now it's on Etsy. Uh, Cuddler. It's, oh, I thought it was on Tinder. I don't know. I 
Whatever. It's only on, it's on uh, only Han. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I felt like it. T- I took a hit. I mean, the uh, Jedi Temple Archives is supposed to be the source of all Star Wars knowledge, and uh, and for me not to come up with that, I was, I was pretty ashamed. Uh, and then it turns out that we actually found the information had been stolen from the archives. It was found in a box of classified documents in Palpatine's garage. Um, yeah, but it was next to his uh, his uh, Corvair. Yeah, speeder, speeder, right? Yeah, so you know that's that's my excuse, and I'm I'm sticking with it. Fair enough. Um, I actually recovered those and uh, and and brought them with me uh, on my Star Wars trivia night. So thank you for those because they helped me and my daughter um, win the yeah, Star Wars those, trivia. Uh, didn't those documents go back to when uh, Palpatine was a senator? Uh, you know, there's supposed to be a statute of limitations on that stuff. <laughs> right, right. Sorry, forgot about that. Of course, of course. But yeah, moving on to uh, some more relevant topics. Uh, thankfully, Pat and Charles were willing to jump in and join me for this episode. And uh, I, I, my understanding is, I mean, you guys just touched on a little bit of the Death Watch uh, and Mando. And I, I don't think that's necessarily uh, surprising, given the fact that we've now seen the trailer for Mando Season 3. Uh, even from season two and a little bit of what we got in Book of Boba Fett, that's clearly going to be central to the struggle, um, which is this whole concept of, of Din Djarin going back to Mandalore uh, to uh, basically redeem himself from taking off his helmet. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's that that sect that he's a part of um, that really believes that, which we see in, in other other. Mandalorian storylines that, that not all Mandalorians are, are like that, but there are certainly like old world Mandalore loyalists like the Death Watch that um, that really strive to maintain that mm, warrior yeah. history yeah. that they have, and and those sort of almost legendary. Um, uh, like uh, uh, Road to the Throne, basically. Right, right. You know where you know that he he who who wins it in in quest or battle is you know is the the leader. So so that kind of stuff is really very interesting. And to to know that to presume that all of Mandalore was like that at one point, and then there's been modernization, but then there's been sects that have tried to abide by that and keep that alive is really very interesting. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, I think sect is a great way to put it. Uh, You know, it all ties back to the Darksaber. We do get a little bit of that in the previous seasons we've had of The Mandalorian. This concept that, uh, you know, whoever wins that Darksaber in combat uh, and is able to take that by strength of arms from somebody is the rightful ruler of Mandalore. And you really have to kind of go all the way back to the the basis of the Darksaber, right? You wanted to speak with me? I've got something to show you. What's this about? A lightsaber? Not just any lightsaber. It can't be. So you recognize it? That I do. It is the Dark Saber, a symbol for the leader of House Vizsla, and later the group known as Death Watch. I didn't know Mandalorians developed a type of lightsaber. We didn't. This was one of a kind. 
Legend tells that it was created over a thousand years ago by Tar Vizsla, the first Mandalorian ever inducted into the Jedi Order. After his passing, the Jedi kept the saber in their temple. That was until members of House Vizsla snuck in and liberated it. They used the saber to unify the people and strike down those who would oppose them. One time, they ruled all of Mandalore wielding this blade. This saber is an important symbol to that house and respected by the other clans. Very distinctive in terms of having that, you know, that flat-edged uh, blade, the fact that it had that black blade with the kind of electricity crackling along the edges of it. Um, it is rumored to even attract lightsaber blades to it, which, you know, would give uh, a non-Jedi uh, somewhat of an aid in fighting a force wielder that's actually carrying a lightsaber. And after the death of Tar Vizsla, that, that darksaber was kept within the Jedi Temple until a raid by the Mandalorians uh, basically stole it back. And it, at that point, was uh, determined that whoever was the wielder of that Darksaber was the ruler of Mandalore. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, we, we talk about this in length, you know, in our episode we did with you of our Darksaber back, uh, episode 44, way back in 2020. And we spoke about this in our most recent episode, the uh, duel between Obi-Wan and uh, Previsla. And we delved a little bit into it. And we Pat literally asked the question. He says, well, the person who took the Darksaber from the Jedi Temple archives, do you think that person was the leader just because of the brazen, uh, you know, the brazen uh, theft of that Darksaber? Right, right. And who did we tell ourselves would probably know that answer would probably be you, Rob, because who else would know that? But that, and that in essence, then led us to the fact that we see Previsla, and he's wielding the Darksaber the first time we see it in that right. uh, Clone Wars episode. And it, you know, it was hugely important. As we talked about in the episode, it was like, you know, it's not a very long duel, but he, it clearly gives that Death Watch um, militaristic side of the, the Mandalorians who are exiled on Concordia, a very sort of central figure of power. And that literally fast forwards to what, like you were saying, Robin, you know, season three uh, preview, you know, the Night of a Thousand Tears, it all, right. it's coming completely full circle right mm -hmm. now. Yeah, and there's really no uh, canon at this point for what takes place in that raid by the Mandalorians to retrieve the Darksaber. I wouldn't expect that it was something that a, a Jedi was actively wielding at that time. So I think that, uh, you know, it's you know, given what we know of the Mandalorians and the fact that, that it was then kind of that they determined that the wielder of this weapon uh, was going to be the leader of the Mandalorians, uh, I, I, I could very easily make that leap to say that whoever led that raid on the Jedi Temple uh, and won that back for the Mandalorians through strength of arms, uh, that was the basis for them making that determination that, that that was what was going to determine their leader. And it goes back to a point that Pat made earlier, which is that you know they were a very militaristic, martial uh, group of people leading all the way up until the Mandalorian Civil War when they kind of branched off and uh, a section of them became pacifists and then the more militaristic group uh, split off and were exiled to the moon of Concordia uh, and ultimately became the Death Watch. 
So what so do you, cool. you know, we talk, you, you mentioned a little bit, uh, the whole concept of, uh, Previsla, uh, when we actually come back and we see the dark saber once again, within the clone wars, it is in the hands of Previsla, who is an ancient descendant, uh, of Tarvisla. He's a member of clan Vizla and he is a member of this death watch group. And he, uh, you know, very strongly feels that because he wields that blade, that he has a right to rule. Uh, he has very strong issues with uh, Duchess Satine Kreese, who is the leader of the Mandalorians, the pacifist sect, and to the point where he's even won over her sister, Bo-Katan, uh, mm-hmm. and she is kind of by his side, and, and we do get to see Bo-Katan within the Mandalorians, uh, and it is clear at that point that she has split off from from the, the thinking and the teachings of Death Watch, uh, just from the fact that she is willing to remove her helmet uh, and and does not take that extremist view of, of Mandalore. So what are your thoughts kind of on, on that whole arc and, and how that impacts what we're going to see in Mandalorian season three? Uh, you know, I think that she was you know, wooed by, by Vizsla to join the death watch. But when, when she sees Obi-Wan, when he's there in that arc and ends up helping him, um, you know, when he's, he's got the Mando gear on and, and he's trying to, um, you know, keep them from being sieged, I guess. Um, you know, she, she seems to come, start to come back around, mm-hmm. you know, to, to a less black and white sort of like morally, <laughs> superior like this is this is the way we are this way we've always been to kind of understand her sister a little more through that whole experience and that allows her to get to where we see her in live action in the um in the mandalorian series yeah Totally agree. I think there's some interesting parallels, really, if you think about it. You look at uh, Death Watch, which, you know, we sit there and say on one hand that they're militaristic and that, you know, they're very uh, focused on the the ancient traditions of the Mandalorians. But there's definitely a lot of what is tied to their actions that could be considered terroristic. Uh, And Mm. you have a, a very interesting parallel to what you see with Saw Gerrera and the uh, the group that he runs and, and their relationship with the Rebel Alliance, right? Uh, Mon Mothma very much a pacifist and, and still understands that there are certain things that they have to do in order to seize control from Palpatine and his people. Uh, but she's unwilling to cross that line and you've got Saw Gerrera who, who has no issue with that. He understands the, the dirty reality. And meanwhile, you've got the same type of thing with Death Watch. They are willing to do things that, uh, that Satine, Duchess Satine, uh, is unwilling to do. She doesn't want to take that extreme approach. And that is really the, the conflict that the Mandalorians deal with, which you know, in a lot of ways, the rebels uh, were saved uh, from having to deal with with the death of of Saw and his kind of extremist group in uh, mm-hmm. the events of Rogue One. That's fascinating connection because, you know, you look at especially what we just saw in um, season one of uh, Andor, Andor, where you've got Saw who's sort of marching towards that path, and uh, do you have, uh, you know, Mon on one side, you've got Saw on the other side, and in the middle you've got. Um, uh, uh, Cassian. Uh, Cassian, but also um, the, uh, the Arcular. Uh, Rail. Yeah, 
Yeah. And so, you know, let's look at that moderate between. And then you can then transfer that over to you've got uh, pre Vizsla and you got Satine on two sides, you know, the right. pacifist and the militaristic side. You got Obi Wan in the middle, who's sort of bridging these two sides, doing his very best not to meddle, but also trying to uh, work both sides so that it has a positive outcome. And like Pat was saying, um, uh, Bo-Katan sees that. It's like, wow, he's good. He's got this way of making both sides somewhat work. And if then we and we don't really know yet what happened on the uh, Night of a Thousand Tears and who. So was that catalyst? Was it a was it a traitor ship? Was it a betrayal? Uh, and how that affected Bo-Katan would be very interesting to see if that comes up in in season three in the flashback, which leads her to the point where we see her in the story and. Um, uh, and how she could not accept the dark saber from uh, Din Djarin because it wasn't one in combat. So that ritual still exists, even far beyond uh, or far removed from the Night of a Thousand Tears. True, and I mean, again, like I said with Bo-Katan, it's interesting because she is no longer uh, the extremist that the Death Watch was, but she still honors the ancient traditions that, Tradition. that surround yep. that dark saber. Uh, that I don't think that the group of Mandalorians that were aligned with Satine uh, when she was, you know, in charge of Mandalore, were really adhering to. Uh, you know. They clearly were were more in line with selecting a ruler as opposed to I I don't believe Satine ever won the dark saber she certainly never had it, uh, mm. you know so there is uh, a split that occurs there within the Mandalorian culture uh, after the Mandalorian Civil War and there's two very diametrically opposite pathways that they follow but now it seems to have merged back and balanced out uh you know kind of like the force is said to balance itself out the the mandalorian culture has also experienced that where they still are willing to embrace their warrior culture and and adopt some of those old ways but not in an extreme way the way that death watch had yeah and the main problem with um you know having to win the dark saber in combat is like, if you don't want it, then you're stuck with it, like Dinjarin. And uh, you end up trying to sell it on, like, Facebook Marketplace and stuff. <laughs> um, just because, you know, you try and hand it off to people, and they're like, no thanks. And the way that Moff Gideon takes advantage of that, he yeah. knows that he's, like, literally in that episode, he's smiling when he walks in there because he knows the implications. And he a knows- surrender, you can't just surrender it. So what? it's... It's you know it's like okay well if she's gonna fight you for it then one of you's gonna die and then yeah. Moff's like now's my chance to come back on top. Yeah, and so the fact yeah. that he knows that 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 lore and that history obviously first speaks to the fact where we first see the dark saber in the Mandalorian when he cuts through the uh, the advanced tie and like we talked about you know like wow mind blowing scene like oh my god it's a dark saber and you know as a plot point it's like for most people who didn't watch the clone wars they would have no clue what that is right but Mm -hmm. as it progresses and and so those little tidbits of the live action series start pulling the uh the plot points from the animated series uh it's a massive choice like it's very it's a very strong choice to take to pull into the mandalorian because you've got this loaded weapon uh behind with a story behind it that even you know paz vizsla when he sees it he there's a head hesitation when he sees that it's not only wow it's the dark saber it's his lineage it's paused uh, uh sorry uh paz vizsla like you know uh, john Favreau's character in the mandalorian season mm-hmm. two and um and he can tell as they're dueling and pat brought this up you can see 
Din Djarin doesn't have the ability to wield that dark saber. It gets heavier and heavier. And like you alluded to, Rob, in our episode way back when, that's, you know, it channels that energy, that negative energy. It actually helps with the wielding of the dark saber. Din doesn't have that experience. So he's just wielding this sort of weird looking, uh, you know, lightsaber and he's doing his best with it. Meanwhile, you got Paz Vizsla, a direct descendant of the creator of it, sort of hoping to get it. Right. Yeah, and, uh, you know, that's one of those things about pulling some of these things into live action. They sometimes twist the rules of, of how they work. And I don't really think that this concept of uh, until you have um, acclimated or paired, I guess, with the weapon, mm. uh, that that it's not as effective, that it's heavier to wield. I mean, that was never anything that we saw in any of the animated series. Uh, we certainly saw that, you know, when uh, Sabine Wren and, and Rebels yeah. uh, was training <laughs> against Kanan Jarrus with the Darksaber that, you know, it, she was at a, at a heavy disadvantage. She was fighting a force wielder. He was able to uh, perceive what her actions were going to be before they, before, you know, she took any action. And the way that she offset that was to mix her fighting with the Darksaber with the skills that she had as a Mandalorian. And that totally made sense to me. Uh, this whole concept that the the Darksaber is is a burden almost to you until you are, uh, you know, until you've attuned yourself to it. Uh, it it's a little bit strange, uh, and, and I don't know that, that it makes total sense to me yet, but I'm hoping that they explain that a little bit more if, mm. if that's the route they're going to go with it. And I think it's uh, just another way for them to help that weapon stand out from your run-of-the-mill lightsabers. Sure. You know, it certainly looks different, so you know, it makes sense to, to have it play by some some sort of different rules as well. Well, I mean, that's one of the reasons I love the idea that it that it was almost attracted. You know, there's so much electrical uh, energy that that weapon holds that you don't generally see in a typical lightsaber. I mean, the closest I would say is, you know, the cracked kyber of Kylo Ren's lightsaber within the sequel trilogy with it hissing and spitting constantly. You know, that was a little bit uh, similar to what we see with the Darksaber, but the con the concept that this weapon that would potentially be wielded by someone who's not force sensitive uh, almost drawing itself to a lightsaber blade would definitely help them offset some of the advantage of a force user oh, yeah. and, as and aside from sort of the lore behind the the weapon it's freaking cool looking oh. i mean you know what i mean like like because you've got the jedi and their lightsabers and we see you know ahsoka in uh, that one episode of of the mandalorian where with uh, grogu and so we see her wielding as she's pure she's a jedi or she's a force user so we get that element with the mandalorian which has been pretty much empty of that you know it's been more about him and and his his culture and stuff and so now maybe we're getting into that more again but then you still have this cool sort of lightsaber-esque thing so as a story plot device it's certainly loaded but as a cool addition to the story as well that is also kind of fun for the people who don't really know what you know how loaded that is true and uh, you know there's another aspect of it that that they have never even come close to approaching i want to know what kind of kyber produces this black blade Ooh, right because we we've yeah seen We've seen kyber crystals. We've seen this concept. You know, it used to be that uh, a red lightsaber blade was produced by a kyber crystal that was artificially created by the Sith, uh, with the thought being that they could never 
you know, attune themselves to a normal kyber crystal. Uh, and then within more recent canon, it is that, you know, they're, they're actually taking a kyber crystal and bleeding it and, you know, feeding all their anger and hatred and everything into it to basically turn it. Uh, and the, the kyber crystal is actually wounded and that's what that red signifies. But we've never seen anything in canon that has anything to do with what this, what this kyber crystal is that creates this effect. And it's, by all, by all accounts, the only one in existence. So uh, I would love to, to get a little bit of backstory on that as well. Uh, I feel like somebody went to Doc Ondar's and got the black kyber crystal. <laughs> it, was, it was in the tubes of red kyber crystals, and they just happened to find it? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> there's, um, there's a side story, well, not a side story, one of the main plot points of um, Master and Apprentice, that, that novel, that um, uh, brings up the concept of the orange kyber, and it's a—it's almost not a fake kyber, but it's one that sort of produces a similar effect, but doesn't have the same um, abilities that the regular kyber does. Right. And you know, I'm, I'm not saying that the dark the dark saber is powered by that, but it seems like there definitely are different qualities, different uh, types of kyber that produce different effects, and maybe that's where, you know, the, the fan, fantastic question, like, that would be kind of cool to find that out. Right, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the few things in Star Wars that's kind of a one-off that they really don't dive into. We've got uh, Yoda's species, which is kind of this, you know, black hole that no one's ever uh, mm. been able to discern any information about, which is why I think, you know, Grogu was such a, uh, a revelation, I think, with the Mandalorian. I, I definitely think there's an aspect of his character that is, you know, uh, merchandise related, uh, we'll say. No way. Uh, I know, hard to believe. Uh, you know, but, but it's playing on the fact that we've got Yoda and Yaddle, and those are the only two you ever see uh, that within, you know, the, the OT and prequel trilogy uh, of his species. They've never been given a name. They've never been given a home planet. We don't know anything about them uh, other than the fact that clearly they can produce some very powerful force users. Uh, so that's, you know, that's kind of one of those areas that is wide open to explore. But this black kyber crystal is the other thing that jumps out at me is this is so unique and iconic and we know nothing about it. And it was a Mandalorian who built it, and it's only the one-off. It's right. as far as we know, that's the only one in existence. Right. So, those properties are very unique, and you know, obviously, very rare as well. Right. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, is there anything else about the uh, the upcoming Mando season three trailer that's jumping out at you that uh, is worth exploring from the standpoint of uh, you know Death Watch and the Mandalorians overall? You know, I think we've talked a little bit about, you know, the Night of a Thousand Tears and the fact that that keeps getting referenced. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we we understand it at a very high level just from the fact that it has been referenced and clearly, uh, you know, the Empire punishing the Mandalorians. Uh, but, you know, what are your thoughts on, on what we might see with regard to that? I'm just excited to see Mandalore in live action. Right. Um, you know, uh, seeing, seeing the... Um you know, the, the big, like, Grand Hall throne room um, in animated was was spectacular. You know, just such, such a great um, visual, and the planet just looks so cool. And to see that they're obviously going back there, uh, live action is going to be fantastic. And, you know, getting more in-between story on what happened 
on Mandalore with Mandalorians in the aftermath of that, as well as, you know, what's what's happened with Bo-Katan since we saw her in, in the animated series. So these things that are, you know, now not only possible, but, but happening, um, and these these characters that are dropped in to really get them fleshed out some more and these and these lines, you know, the Vizsla line and and the foundling aspect and all that stuff is just really cool to be introduced to and now to explore deeper. Yeah, and I'm actually not surprised. I mean, given that the focus was really on, uh, you know, the repercussions of, of what happened with the Night of a Thousand Tears to the planet of Mandalore, but they really don't talk about uh, Concordia uh, oh, being affected by that, yeah. which would explain why when you do have these, you know, these enclaves uh, of Mandalorians kind of scattered and hidden across the galaxy, that they would most likely be aligned with with groups like Death Watch. Uh, and, and maybe kind of fringe groups that weren't necessarily present on Mandalore proper at the time. So, uh, you know, Bo-Katan uh, certainly survived, and, and she's got some people around her uh, that would have been survivors of Mandalore, and certainly there's other groups like that scattered around the galaxy. But, you know, to, to find out that Din Djarin, uh had fallen in with, with a group that turned out to be extremists in a lot of ways, uh, not all that surprising. Yeah, I mean, I you know, apart from what you guys have said, the other um, uh, aspect, you know, we've t- we heard about, you know, or at least rumored that uh, Sabine is potentially going to be making an appearance in the Ahsoka series, and, you know, we last saw her and Ahsoka in Rebels sort of heading off to go and find um, Ezra Thrawn, and, yeah, yeah and uh, Thrawn. So the, you know, so that's, that could be coming, uh, you know, soon but the house wren and ursa wren her mother was a major player on mandalore and it'd be interesting to see if season three mentions the the house name because we haven't heard that name yet right. and but they were a major player at that point and and uh which is you know one of the uh, main houses that had a lot of support when the with the uh, dark saber did come into sabine's uh, holding and and that sort of fractious uh, scene that we see in rebels um you know was a it was a quite a turning point so it'd be interesting to see if we see her or hear that name at least at least in passing yeah i, I wouldn't be surprised i i know that uh at least for jedi temple archives podcast we we talked a little bit about uh ursa wren and sabine and and the night owls back when we were covering some of the stuff that occurred in clone wars season seven uh when that came out because they were certainly actively involved in that but yeah i mean uh sabine is a great character um that that i would love to go into more detail on and i kind of was thinking that you know when ahsoka comes out i think it would make perfect sense for her to make some sort of appearance uh, mm. as you said i mean that whole final scene at the end of uh, of star wars rebels where uh, as you said ahsoka and sabine are kind of heading out to determine what happened with ezra uh, when he disappeared with thrawn and uh, ezra and thrawn especially uh, absolutely i would not be surprised to see show up in that ahsoka series i would be disappointed if they didn't uh, mm-hmm. I've got right. some ideas about, you know, where, where they could be. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to find out uh, if the Thrawn that they find is the same Thrawn we saw leave. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, much like, you know, I mean, much like when uh, Callus was with Zeb. Right. And when, when oh, they were. Wow. Stuck yeah. Together, 
and then he kind of saw things in a different light. Maybe yeah, yeah. light on each other. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, Ooh. I've got I've got episodes uh, for JTA about Thrawn that we did a while ago, and there hasn't been a ton of new material specific to, uh, you know, the the Star Wars galaxy proper. But it takes place. It's kind of Thrawn backstory, and one mm. of the big departures from Thrawn in Legends uh, versus Thrawn in the current star Wars canon is that in legends, he was far more of a malevolent force. Um, Mm -hmm. but what they have in star Wars canon and what they've established through the backstory, uh, with the books that they've put out here the last couple of years is really, Mm -hmm. I mean, he's, he is a, a military genius. He is looking out for his people. He is trying to make sure that the galaxy is strong enough to withstand the dangers that exist out in the unknown regions. And he thought that aligning himself with Palpatine was the way to do that because Palpatine was very militaristically strong, Mm. uh, but, you know, now that the Empire has fallen and he's had a chance to spend some time potentially with Ezra, uh, it'll be interesting to see if, if that changes his outlook and, and uh, shifts his viewpoint in terms of what he considers strength. Oh, that's fantastic. Now you can consider that. That's brilliant. Oh, wow. So possibly a conversation for another time. But uh, <laughs> I also will say that when we were talking about Andor earlier, that I had a strong desire, uh, and it's probably going to be an a, a, episode that's coming up very shortly uh just talking about what they did with andor in terms of there's always been this mindset uh, and it was really rooted in the fact that the original star wars trilogy uh leaned heavily into actors that were largely unknown they had sir alec guinness obviously playing the part of obi-wan kenobi and they needed some sort of gravitas because that was not an established franchise but uh you know uh, Harrison Ford was certainly the the most well known outside of Alec Guinness. Uh, and Peter Car- Cushing, uh, you know, was- certainly, yeah, 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 yeah. Excellent point, excellent point. But in terms of like the the core uh, roles, right. but you know. Uh, Carrie Fisher, relative unknown, certainly yep. Hollywood royalty. Uh, Mark Hamill, complete unknown. Yep. Uh, and, and there was, this, yeah, and, and there has <laughs> been a lot of examples over the years of the wrong way to bring a big name into Star Wars. And yes. my argument would be that one of the things that Andor did that was exceptional was they brought in big name actors and gave them dialogue and gave them scenes that allowed them mm-hmm. to showcase what makes them great actors. Uh, and we absolutely got that. I mean, uh, episode 10, uh, you know, one way out, uh, where you've got Andy Serkis who gives an yes. amazing performance. You've got Stellan Skarsgård who his conversation with the ISB agent Lonnie, uh, in, yes. in the turbo lift. And afterwards I have rewatched that 15, 10, 15 minute stretch of that episode, probably 40 times. Uh, It gives me goosebumps every time because there is so much power in the performance they deliver. And Star Wars, you know, Kim always tells me, my wife Kim always tells me they have the ability to get whoever they want. So Mm -hmm. get good people and put them in the right role and give them a story and give them a script. I don't need... Uh, to have Danny Trejo coming in to haul a rank <laughs> right? I mean, 
there's. I mean, you don't need it, but. Uh, I get it. <laughs> I get it. It just, you know, it takes but you yes. out of the moment as yeah. opposed to a, a great actor yeah. who absolutely folds you into that moment mm-hmm. and makes it that much more powerful. So that yes. is a conversation for uh, for another day, but absolutely appreciate you guys coming on. Uh, any parting thoughts before we wrap up this topic? Um, oh, man. Yeah. Uh, Pat had to see the uh, Mandalorian season three trailer. <laughs> I did. Friend. I, I, I. Those damn to, Philly, Philadelphia I, Eagles. You know, I try to stay spoiler free. Spoiler free. Um, I try to not really catch the promo material of any kind, save for like a promo shot, like a like a poster for you know, like the Mando posters. I like a lot, but um. You know, I try to try to stay away from trailers and all, and um, I, I was unable to um, <laughs> with the uh, with the the football game. So yeah. I uh, just have to reconcile myself with that. What's what's the saying, <laughs> Charles? Fly eagles fly. Fly eagles fly. That's what it is. And don't get shivved. <laughs> oh boy. Yep. So yeah, I mean, it's uh, it was it was. It was great. I loved it, but my imagination kicks in, and I go to places that they don't go, and then, um, unfortunately, sometimes I end up uh, not seeing what I thought I'd see or what I hoped I'd see, what I assumed I'd see, and um, and then I, I'm I'm less than enthused. Yeah, it's a common common pitfall. Uh, I think that is one of the one of the aspects of any movie today, right? There's so much, there's so much advanced material that gets put out. Uh, and they absolutely are trying to make your brain go to those places mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Uh, but you know, uh, back in the original trilogy days, you didn't have trailers. You didn't have, mm-hmm. uh, this endless content that came out between films. You went into the film and you experienced it in the moment and you loved mm-hmm. it or hated it based on what they put in there. And, uh, that's absolutely the challenge of, of watching anything these days because of trailers, because of theory crafting, because of replaying those trailers in slow-mo and picking every detail out of every scene. And it makes you think that they're headed a certain way. And you may have just had someone who put something in there as an Easter egg. And uh, yeah, it absolutely can affect how you feel about the show when you see it. Uh, Even though it might have been great, if it wasn't what you envisioned, you can have that, uh, that disconnect. Yeah, yeah, it's a couple of things I was uh, I've, I've been um, wrong on, and and they did it better, which I would hope so. <laughs> I would hope if I'm wrong, they did it better. Um, oh, I don't want to be I don't want to be wrong, and like they did it worse, because like you you could have done what I would have done, and yeah. it would have been better. But, yeah, you exactly. Have, you have so, Marvel Disney Plus series for that, right? <laughs> So, yeah, so so when they don't do what I would have done, I want it to be better than what I would have done. And um and oftentimes it's it you know with Andor, I would say 100% of the things that they did differently than I would have have been uh, leaps and bounds better than anything I would have done. Minus the first two episodes. <laughs> right, yeah, I wouldn't have done that. Uh or I would have had subtitles. Because <laughs> 
if you're going to have a bunch of kids talking some strange language and you're not going to tell me what they're saying, then it's not important. And then why am I watching it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Can't argue yeah, with that. So, so, yeah. So, uh, I'm looking forward to, to the every little snippet I saw in the trailer and then some, all the other stuff I was looking forward to uh, previous to seeing the trailer. And, um, and I'm looking for a good time in, what, a month? Yeah. 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 And we can hope that Pelimoto gets a haircut. <laughs> That's unlikely. Or is I think elected... the Pitroids I think the Pitroids cut her hair. Yeah. Either that or she's gonna get elected Grand Poobah at the lodge, so God. What a mess. I know. <laughs> I know. How about you, Charles? Any uh, anything you're looking forward to? No, I mean, I think that uh, Pat really summed it up. I think what we saw in the trailer was, you know, really enticing. And some of the flashbacks that we saw in uh, season two are, you know, add to that, you know, and almost develop the story even more so because you think that, well, were those filmed for season three? Because they're really on point. And that that Mm -hmm. lake or whatever, that that body of water, he has to go back to uh, sort of cleanse his soul, as it were. Aside from all the galactic stuff going on, it's 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 going to be quite the quite the season, and uh, you know it'll actually be really good, really pivotal moment for the series because you've introduced a lot of things in here and then jettisoned them out, including Luke Skywalker and right. Ahsoka and the whole bit. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see where this uh, season ends. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Why don't you uh, let all the listeners, all three of them, know uh, where they can find you guys in your podcast? Three. Wow. I, I don't listen anymore. I borrowed both of yours. <laughs> and Kim's, Kim's going to listen to make sure that this is okay. <laughs> Kim's going to Dang. No, no. I borrowed both of yours. All right. Yeah, we are on um, MySpace. Uh, no, uh, Conversations.com is our flagship. Uh, we're on Facebook.com slash Conversations. At Swations on the Twitters. Uh, we've got the Instagrams, conversations over there. We have our link tree, link.tree slash conversations. And of course, as Rob is a part of our lovely family over at the Red Five Network. Absolutely. Uh, and definitely check them out. Check out their website. They've got some great uh, photos that they do staging their uh, their Black Series dolls in various places. Figures! Oh, sorry, figures, Jeez. my bad. Uh, as well as a big event that they've got coming up on Saturday. It is uh, February 11th, I believe. Yep. Yeah. For your hundredth episode, uh, you guys are going to be doing a live stream for that. So uh, I'm going to be popping in via a pre-recorded message, but uh, there's going to be a lot of folks on that live stream helping them celebrate a hundred episodes, which is no small feat uh, of chuckling along with each other, uh, creating all kinds of amazing pseudo uh what do we call them uh commercials we gonna call them commercials advertisements uh, yeah i mean they haven't paid us yet but uh, they keep promising us they will i know you guys are doing free pr i think that's probably a better term for it so those advanced sheets for profits are phenomenal yeah isn't it great when they show you what they would pay you if they were interested (laughs) yes uh, Hondo keeps telling us that he's 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 gathering the money, so I'm yes. sure it'll be here any day. Well, you guys have his firm, uh, Onaka and Melch, 
representing <laughs> you guys. So you're you're in good hands legally. So uh, again, thank you both for joining me. And if anyone wants to reach out with any thoughts on this episode, any uh, any theories that you guys may have about Death Watch, Mandalorians, or the Dark Saber, please do so. You can reach us at JTA Podcast at gmail.com. You can find our website and episodes on jtapodcast.com. And you can also find us on socials, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest. I know people still use Pinterest uh, <laughs> at JTA Podcast. So check us out there. Uh, but Pat Charles, again, thank you guys so much for joining me. Always a great time. And I'll be looking forward to seeing you guys in a little over a week in person. Can't wait. Absolutely cannot wait. It's going to be a riot. So, uh, folks, you guys all have a wonderful week. Thanks for tuning in, and may the Force be with you. Thank you.